Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're closing out on our series, serious series. Beware, you have been warned. And this morning, we want to uh, look, and as I said last week, it uh, kind of started with a, a great word of encouragement in chapter 1. And uh, he spoke of uh, great love, the divine power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of his exceeding great and precious promises. And then as he headed into chapter 2, he really reminded them of all the things going on in the world. And he kind of couples them together as he closes out chapter 3. And so this morning, we want to look at this loving reminder. A loving reminder. You know, I think of what a loving reminder looks like. And uh, I immediately go to my desk. It's so often that Joellen or Bridget will put loving reminders on there. Don't forget, you need to do this. Don't forget you have a meeting. Don't forget you need to go here or do this. Because in my inability, uh, I will forget where, when, what, and uh, they very lovingly encourage me to uh, remember the things that I need to do. Uh, I, Becky has done that for me for years. Uh, my mother and father, uh, friends that will remind. And, you know, someone who cares does so in a very loving manner. And sometimes, listen, young people, the reminder that your parents give you may not seem lovingly given at the time, but it is done in love nonetheless to warn you of the repercussions of forgetting what you need to remember. Now, with all that being said, I want you to turn with me and look in chapter 3. Chapter 3. He starts off right off the bat. Beloved, I now write to you. He said, I write to you this second epistle, the second letter in both of which the first one and the second one, I wrote this to you, which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Now I want to break down this first verse before we go into the message because it sets the tone. He starts, and may I say, four times in this one little chapter. I mean, think about it. Uh, Second Peter is only three chapters. Verse uh, Chapter 3 is only 18 verses, but four times he refers to the recipient of this letter as beloved. That which he dearly loves. That person that he dearly loves. As I left uh, the other building this morning and began to walk over and people were coming out of all the nooks and crannies. They were getting out of their cars and coming out of the choir room door or coming around from the back or uh, through the worship center, and people lined up coming down the, the walkway, the driveway, and entering into the rock this morning for worship. I think the songs were absolutely perfect for that. My mind, because of the message, went back. It went back to January when I was walking on those thousands and thousands of year old roads uh, uh, strewn with the s stones that were laid uh, millennia ago, as people would come together to go to the temple. Families in tow this morning. And like Jimmy sang of the smile and the glory of God on their face, they, were, they really were fulfilling scripture when it said, I, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Church, don't buy into the rhetoric. We have the privilege and we have the priority to come to the house of God and worship Christ Jesus our King. And we need not falter and fail. And we ought to come with great joy in our heart that we're able to do that throughout uh, uh, the years, for thousands of years, now for 2,000. People have been going to home churches. They've been going to built Buildings where the church would amass around the globe 
to worship. This is the beloved, the ones that Jesus loves, the ones that God loves, Peter loves. He said, beloved, I now write to you. And what is he writing? He said, to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. This, this idea of stir up, he used as Paul wrote to Timothy. When Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, he said uh, that you be stirred up with the gift that is within you. And the whole idea in the original language of stirring up, how many of you have a fireplace? How many of you have ever built a fire and sitting around the campfire? The greatest thing about uh, having a fire is poking it. That's the best part to poke it and see the sparks fly up and cause it to be able to breathe and the fire grows larger. The idea here in this phrase, stir up, literally means to kinder or, or kindle the embers or to prod. He said, I'm prodding your mind. I'm prodding, prodding your spirit. I'm stirring you up. I am trying to get you kindled up for what? Your minds to stir up to prod your pure minds, not just your mind. And listen, our minds is a dangerous place. Mine is. I don't know about yours. I spend way too much time in my own to worry about what's going on and going through a lot of other people. Some, you can look deep in their eyes and tell there's not a whole lot going on. But he said, I stir up your pure minds. Now, here's what he's saying. This word pure literally means to be judged in the sunlight. Have you ever had, ladies, you ever tried to pick out and match an outfit and you literally walked outside so you could see it because the lighting inside just, it didn't look the same? And these new LED lights and all this other kind of stuff, it's just, it's so weird. And they've got, you know, the different, you know, this last light, it always seems to click on. It always clicks on and it looks pink when it comes on. And Stephen's, you know, it's so funny because uh, people comment and said, boy, man, I loved, I loved that yellow tie you had on last Sunday. I said, I had on an orange tie. You know, it's, it's in the lighting. Well, he said, your pure minds, one that has been brought into the light of Jesus Christ and judged to be pure. I mean, it literally means tested as genuine. There used to be a commercial that says, when you have parts on your car replaced, demand that it's replaced with original parts, not this other stuff that's manufactured off somewhere in a sweatshop, but get the real item that doesn't warp and doesn't break. Get the original product. He's saying, I stir up a mind that is totally genuine and pure in judgment by God by way of reminder. This righteous understanding, he said, I want to remind you of something very, very important. And so what is that? He said that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Can I be real honest with you? Sometimes I leave here and I wonder, did they get anything? And I'm talking about from my, my side. Did I just put together, a, I'm not even going to say eloquent, but did I just put together a message to fill up a block of time? Did, was the spirit in it, uh, did their minds delve into who God is and what God is and what God does to the point that we were challenged to worship him even deeper? to be challenged to go out and serve him. This morning, I pray this not be a wasted hour. I pray more than anything that we would have this loving reminder to be mindful, number one, of his word. 
to be mindful of his word. I'm here to tell you that everything in my life changed because of this word. Everything. The Bible changes everything. Changes everything. And when we base our life not on how we feel, not on what people say, but thus saith the Lord. We understand our value is not in how we look. Our value is not how we're received. Our value is in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our value. I'll never be the smartest. I'll never be the most wealthy. I'll never match up in a lot of people's eyes. But that's okay because I am accepted in the beloved by Jesus Christ ushered into the very throne room so that I can approach God boldly. I can't do that apart from Jesus. But no matter where I'm at, no matter what the circumstance, I can bow my head, I can bend my knees, and I can cry out, Oh, Father, forgive me. Oh, Father, empower me. Use me. Change me. Encourage me. And the Father hears me because of the Son which is the word. Now I want you to hear how full. We're only going to hit nine verses this morning, but we're going to cover the entirety of Scripture. Some of you just said, good Lord, I'm already hungry. All right, listen to this. He said, this is strong now, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, throughout Scripture, it teaches us that the prophets came up and in and to John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, the last one to prophet of the coming Messiah. But once Jesus, now hear me, for all that want to put prophet in their name or you watch somebody who claims that they can see stuff in your life, that they can prophesy about other things, I'm here to tell you the last true Old Testament prophet died when they lopped off his head. John the Baptist. But what does he mean when he tells us to be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets? Well, number one, we ought to read it. How are you going to know if you don't read it? I hear all the time people say, I hate to read. I hate to read. I'm like, if that's your prerogative, just don't say it in front of me. Because people insist on being ignorant if you refuse to read. I, uh, when I entered the doctoral uh, program, the very first thing at the top of the orientation paper said, Smart people read, and then in all caps, in a larger font, in black, underlined, it said, a lot. You're going to have to read a lot. And in every class, I had nine classes, and in every class, there were 1,500 to 2,000 pages of assigned reading. Every class, four-month class. And so you didn't dare take more than one class. If you took two you were just a glutton for punishment. But you had to read. And you had to read a lot. And the more you read, the more you understand. Listen, I read authors that I never wanted to read again, but I understood where some of it came from. When I would read stuff by Immanuel Kant, and I'd read things by Karl Barth, and I would read those Slurmachers and all those German theologians that had broke down their, uh, in liberal theology. And I'm like, this is garbage. But I understood where it came from. You see, when he tells us to read the prophets, he means read all the prophets. But he's not just speaking of reading about Daniel or reading about Samuel or reading about Nathan. He's talking about the whole picture of the prophets. What is that? Well, look with me real quickly to Matthew 22. Where do we see Matthew 22 in our church life every week? Right there. Why is that? And here's what's really cool. You know, 
the last two churches I pastored, when I came, you know, I prayed about it and God gave us a theme and gave us a verse and we drew a logo and all that. And what we have cannot be improved on. Just, I mean, we can change the logo a little bit, but you're never going to improve on, and it's not a theme that some pastor dreamed up. Matter of fact, Matthew recorded what Jesus said, but Jesus was simply quoting himself from the prophets. What did he say? In 22 verse 37, Jesus said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Do you know what he said? That means I love you completely. You're saying, God, I love you with everything about me. I keep nothing back. I don't keep my business back. I don't keep my checkbook back. I don't keep the privacy of what I do with the boys back or with the girls back. I don't keep what's in my refrigerator back. I don't care what's hidden in my study back or what's in my bedroom back. I don't keep anything back. God, I love you with every ounce of my being. Now, I don't know about you, but that's challenging. But that's what the first command demands. And we'll see in a moment, that's the first tablet of the Ten Commandments. He said to love the Lord with everything. But verse 38, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. Buckle up now, because this is convicting. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor. Not the neighbor on the side that you like. Not the neighbor that you like to grill out with. Not the neighbor that looks like you or goes to school with you or pulls for the same team as you. You are to love your neighbor. That means people. As yourself. On these, now listen to what he says. On these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. Be mindful of the word of the prophets, which is what? The law. The law. Prophets spoke the law. And what is the law? Love God and love others. Now we saw, and somebody told me the other day they were reading through Leviticus and they said, you know, this is unbelievably just, it's not fun reading. Well, I get that. And I'm not going to pretend to you that when I'm reading through the Bible, when I get to Leviticus, that I get just full of exuberance and think, yes, I'm in Leviticus. You know, that would be like me going to work with Becky and sitting down in her office and say, hey, can you go in there and get your, get, just pull a couple of books off your boss's shelf. I just want something fun to read. You know, and sitting down with the Georgia annotated code and just going through 35-A.1-F. No, that does not interest me in the least. I don't even want to read through two pages of bylaws, much less that stuff. But if you don't understand Leviticus, you will never grasp Hebrews. Why did they have to kill all them animals? And why did they have to do all this? Why did they do all that for sin? It was a covering. But Hebrews clearly tells us the blood of bulls and goats will never fully compensate for the cleansing of sin, only the blood of Jesus. But what does the prophets and the law teach us? First of all, the sovereignty of God. God has never been, nor will he ever be, out of control. No matter what you face, God can handle it. No matter what happens in nine days. Can I tell you something? And I'll get to the eternality of God in a moment. But can I tell you, God already knows who wins. And, and to break it all down, no matter 
who wins that beloved has already won. I, I want you to understand, we have had presidents. I, the first president I ever voted for was Ronald Reagan. But in my life, I was born under the administration of Lyndon B. Johnson. And since Lyndon B. Johnson, we've had the I'm not a crook, Richard Nixon. We've had the football player who had too many concussions, Gerald Ford. We had the smiling liberal peanut farming Jimmy Carter who I think he died 12, 14 years ago, just nobody will tell him. We've had Ronald Reagan and George with a bunch of initials, Bush, and then George couldn't remember more than one middle name, Bush. We've had Clinton, we've had Obama, we've had Trump, and I don't know who we'll have next time, but what I know is that my mother and daddy when I was born in 1964, had already been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and raised their children in the nurture and admonition of their Savior. And in 1972, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And never, not one second, has God lost control. God is more powerful. Now, if you've not heard any kind of news at all, I want to break something down to you. You may not even grasp this. But there's some unions and some walls that have come down in the last three months that have never taken place ever. Just this week, papers of neutralization were signed between the Muslim-controlled Sudan and the nation of Israel. The United Arab Emirates before with Israel. The embassy in Jerusalem. What America has no, no deep place in all this stuff except for the fact that the most powerful nation, the leading nation in the world, recognizes Jerusalem as the capital. Now, I'm not telling you that Jesus is going to come back next week, but listen to what I'm about to tell you. He may. And I'll tell you something even further. He can. And even more than that, it very may, may happen before the sun goes down. We're worried about whether it's going to rain on our pumpkin carving. I'm going to tell you something. We better get worried about Jesus coming back so that we tell people that Jesus saves the sovereignty of God will not be interrupted. It will not be derailed. We need to be mindful. The prophets got that. That's why they killed them. They didn't want to hear about the sovereignty of God. We had kings in power. We had rulers. Think about all the devious rulers. I don't know about you, but worse than Leviticus is when I read the, the books of history and I see how corrupt the rulers were. When they would, even the good rulers would mess up and enter into a partnership that they had no business being in. Solomon cost himself by marrying into families that did not recognize the sovereignty of God. And he died a broken man. But you see, the prophets not only declared the sovereignty of God through the law, love God, love others. But they declared the sin of man. The sin of man. Think about it. Remember when we went through the book of Nehemiah? Remember Ezra, the prophet? Remember the priest, what he did? He stood and proclaimed what? The word of God. And what did he say? God is sovereign and you're a sinner. And he would preach for a quarter of the day and they'd pray and repent for a quarter of the day. I'm going to tell you, we've got things back backwards. We're worried about a message that goes more than about 40, 45 minutes when we won't spend three in prayer. The most important worship and gathering of the body of Christ ever is prayer meetings. 
When we get on our face before God and seek his face in repentance, because, listen, the prophet said, humble yourselves because of the sin of man. But then they declared the salvation of God. Now, understand, you'll see this in the Old Testament primarily with the words deliverance. But I want you to think for a minute. I always go to this side. I'll stand over here on this side. So Moses, you know, he's got the children. Hey, all you kids, you remember this story? They're all in Egypt and God sends all the plagues. You remember that? All right. And so they come out of Egypt, right? And they, they're going out from Egypt. And what do they go up against? What do they come up against that they can't get around? The Red Sea. And so when they get to the Red Sea, what are they going to do? They're all panicking. They're like, what are we going to do? And who was behind them? Pharaoh and the army, right? Y'all read this. This is in the Old Testament. And so Moses comes up and he's standing there. What's in his hand? The staff of God. And it was simp- there's no magical power in the staff. It was simply a display of God. You are the staff in the hands of God to display his glory. So he holds it up. Man, I can remember my mother-in-law quoting this scripture to me. And she'd quote, she loved this verse. And, and every time she'd speak it, there's power in it because it was powerful then and it's powerful today. Moses held, he turned around and looked at the people. There's a, 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 a mass lake that they can't get around. They, they'll be caught. There's a giant army pressing down on them that they can't retreat. And he holds up that staff and he says, be still, stand still and see the salvation of God. For the enemy that you see today, you'll not see any longer. And God put his giant sovereign hands down into that lake and pushed it back. And with a gentle blow, he breathed across it so that when they began to trod through the base of that lake, they trod on dry ground. Now I'm going to tell you something. Steve... I get it with all these big fancy $100,000 honky-tonk jet bass boats. And they've got, it looks like, don't, don't ever give young people a hard time about being gamers. When these boats have $10,000 worth of electronics, they've got more screens than a jumbotron on it. They got side scan sonar. We would have won World War II in about three months had we had the screens in our submarines and battleships that we now have on bass boats. And they're, they're, you're looking for fish. Where's the fish? There's structure and there's a hump and there's a bush. and there's, I'm going to tell you something. Can you imagine all you fishermen fishing women, when they're walking through and there's just these giant fish just staring at them. And the kids are like, mama, mama, look at the fish. They're just walking through. But the most important thing is, listen, he said, stand still and see the what? Salvation, the deliverance. See, salvation is not just being born again eternally. It is the deliverance of a temporal problem. You ever face something in life and said, I, there's, this is it. I'm just going to die. Elijah felt that way. The great prophet of God. You ever faced depression? You ever faced doubt? You ever felt about this tall because you just didn't seem to believe enough in God? I'm going to tell you something. If Elijah can go through it, anybody can go through it. But God gave him rest. God fed him. And he went 40 days in the food and the rest God gave him. That's the kind of rest God will give you. That's the kind of deliverance. But then not only do we listen to the law... Do we be mindful of what the prophets have said? But he said in the latter part, also be mindful of the apostles of the Lord and Savior 
Jesus Christ. What, what do they say? They preached grace. They preached the fullness of the law and the picture of grace. Time changed. Time was complete. Listen, next week, that whole fall back, spring forward, I always get it backwards and crazy and can't figure out what time I'm supposed to get up to go hunting. I mean, it, I hate it. I despise it. And I'm like everybody else. If there's anything that our Congress needs to take care of is that. That's the most important thing they ought to take care of. Get it fixed. Set it. Be done with it. But listen, the greatest time change was when Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross and changed from the law to grace, from B.C. to A.D. And I want you to understand, parents, I don't care where you go to school, first day of class that your student, your child, brings home their history book, you start thumbing through the pages and look and see if it says A.D. or B.C. or B.C.E. or C.E. So what's the difference? What's the importance? Because they have now taken out anything they, they're trying. The state of Texas, the state of California, and the state of Florida are three of the largest states when it comes to education. And so their boards of education decides who gets the contract on publishing history books and English books and math books. That's who, you don't know why we come up with crazy math? California. That's the truth. But what they have done is they have tried to delineate and now completely remove anything that has any contact with Jesus Christ. B.C. before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, all referring to Christ. But C.E., stands for common era. It is a secular view of history. And so beware, read the history book, and if it's there, point it out to your children and say, see, this is not right. Jesus is real, and Jesus changed time. I guarantee you some of your kids' history book has it in it. Be careful. See, the apostles came and showed forth Jesus' humanity. Remember what we're supposed to be mindful of. We're to be mindful of Jesus' humanity because of the apostles preaching it. He said in Acts 4.22, continuing, when the church was birthed, 3,000 were saved, and they fellowshiped together, and they did all that. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine? Jesus. Grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see Jesus' humanity. Where do we see Jesus' humanity in the Gospels? We see it in the wilderness when he was first tempted. He was thirsty. He was hungry. Satan tried to play on it. We see him on the cross say, I thirst. One of the only seven sayings from the cross or one of the only seven times he opened his mouth from the cross was to display his humanity. We see it in John 11 when he wept when his heart was broken. We see him weep over Jerusalem when they won't turn to God. We see his humanity. I'm here to tell you the apostles told us that we have a high priest that understands what you're going through. The high priest gets it. He understands your infirmities because no one understands temptation like Jesus. Because the greatest amount of temptation always comes right before it stops. It increases because Satan's not going to exercise extra amounts of energy if he knows he can get you pretty easy. But see, he kept piling it on Jesus for 33 and a half years. Tried to get him to dis disrespect, to lie, to be emboldened in ego. He tried to get him to cave to the fleshly desires of this world. And he never, ever, ever, never 
gave in, even up until the point of death. He was trying to get him to come off the cross. Satan failed miserably. And Jesus felt every nail that was driven through his hands and his feet. He felt every drop of blood that left his body. He felt the overwhelming uh, uh, drainage of being dehydrated and that blood and the plasma just literally uh, uh, exiting him and the sweat uh, 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 leaving his body and everything marred to the point that he was unrecognizable. Jesus' humanity, we must be mindful of because if not, we'll forget we have one who gets us. Who understands. But then Jesus' is Jesus divinity. This was the Son of God was God. Stacy sent me something this week that was written by George Whitfield and it was old English, so it was hard to decipher. But what he was literally talking about was that God created nature. And that God was over it eternally. But when Jesus entered into time, he stepped over it and above it because he was God in the flesh. Think about it. How many of you have ever walked on water? Now, I can tell you, I've been in the ocean where something brushed up against my leg and I got close. I got real close. I went to high stepping, but I never was able to walk on water. I said something to my dad one time. Dad was in a tank. Daddy, Daddy drove tanks. And I said something to him about, you never wanted to be like a paratrooper or airborne or anything? He said, son, God's word says you ought not tempt God. I said, what's that got to do anything? He said, God didn't give you wings. He didn't give me wings. If he'd meant for me to fly, he'd gave me wings. He said, I can ride in that tank and shoot just as good as anything else. He said, they got to get out and get on the ground before they can even shoot. He said, we ain't got no business jumping out of planes and all that. You know, you can't do it. Gravity has this erupt way of telling you you're not going to break the law of gravity. The law of physics the law of time. But we see Jesus stop time. We see Jesus caused the earth because of what he was going through and through his death. We see thunderings. We see a great, great lightning storm blow up and complete darkness in the middle of the day. We see Jesus raise people from the dead. Only God can do that. But we see the apostles talk the doctrine of Jesus' bride there in Acts 2, that Jesus has a bride and the church is it. Church, he's coming back. That's why we're the church at Eastside. And I and many of you have been with me where we went and spent time in worship in the church in Solala. The church in Guatemala. I've been in the church in Ukraine. I've been in the church of Jamaica. The church of Honduras. I've been in the church of places around the globe. Because wherever the body of Christ is, we see the bride of Christ. And one day we'll be adorned for his return. But then he tells us in verse 3. Knowing this first. Now, when Becky leaves me a loving reminder, it's usually a checklist, you know. Bring home your check, number one. Don't forget to bring your own check. Don't forget to go by and get this. Don't forget, I need my oil chain. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. And it's usually in a list, or I'll leave her list. Say, when you go, don't forget to pick up this, pick up that. This is, but don't forget this. This is the most important thing. Well, Peter says the same thing. He said, know this first. What's the first thing we ought to know? That scoffers will come in the last day. What's a scoffer? One who mocks. Walking according to their own 
lust. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, number one, that's a lie. Things are not like they have been from creation. But they have dismissed the whole ramification of there being a real God, a real Savior, and how time continues to progress. So who, who's someone who mocks? When I initially think of it, I think of one old guy that he couldn't stand David. Y'all remember this guy? He would stand up there and he'd mock David. He'd mock him. He'd call him all kinds of names. Oh, you did this to the house of Saul and blah, blah, blah. And David never messed with him. David, as he was dying, told his son Solomon, he said, you remember that cat that always give me fits? He mocked me all the time. Don't forget him. Take care of business. When David died and Solomon took the throne, David took care of him. I think of another group. Now listen, young people. Listen to me real closely. This is a serious story, but it's kind of funny. But it didn't turn out well. So the man of God, Elisha, is strolling through there. And unlike me, in many ways, Elisha was, man, he was, he was the dude. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think. Can I just tell you what I think Elisha looked like? Elisha looked like Goldberg. He's buffed up. Elisha's just, but he's not walking in pride. He's walking in the power of God. But there's one very specific thing he looked like Goldberg. What was it? Looked like Philip. He looked like some of these cool cats with no hair. Notice I said that, and I didn't make fun of them either. This is why. So Elisha's strolling down through there, and these, cat, these kids, they're kids. McLean, they're, these kids are looking down there, and they start making fun of him. Ah, look at the man of God. He ain't got no hair. Because hair, they mocked me when I first went to Israel. They called me a baby and made me lay in a manger because I didn't have any facial hair. I made sure this time I had all I could grow. I had what little scraggly possum beard I had, and I, I didn't want to hear any of that. Because those old Orthodox Jews, according to law, they don't cut their, their bangs, and so they're long and curly, and they've got big old massive, you know, Robertson Duck Commander beards and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, it's, they got plenty of facial hair. Well, he had no, no hair on his head. He was bald. And they start making fun of him, and he just... The Bible says that he called for she-bears. There were female bears up in the woods. And if there's anything you don't mess with, mama bear. Because apparently there was some cubs running around. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've dealt with parents coaching a little league. I've dealt with some of that stuff. But the minute some of them wanted to get on me by getting on one of my children, Becky was suiting up. I'm going to take them out. No, I'm just, and there's times where people in former churches have said ugly things and mean things toward my children or something. Big's like, listen, you just need to be looking for a job because I'm fixing to drop the hammer now. You ain't going to mess with my kids. I said, hey, if you can help it, help it. But if you can't, have at it. Because those she-bears, you know what happened to them? The she-bears didn't run down there and stop and make fun of the kids and bark at them, and they run home. No, it says they ate them. Is that in your Bible? That's in my Bible. That's what a mockery is. I don't tell you, when you start making fun of people who are serving God because they don't look like you or sound like you or think like you, I remember one of the greatest displays of faith in a young person that I have ever seen was when Emily was playing middle school basketball in South Alabama, and we played in this little middle school called Fleeta. And when we went to this little middle school and played, there was one girl that played for Fleeta Middle School, and she wore a skirt to play basketball in. I didn't make fun of her. I didn't think it was kooky. I didn't think it was weird. I thought it was courageous because that was what they believed in their faith. Now, I don't know about the legalistic side. You can argue that all you want, but you got to respect when people stand for what they believe. 
problem is we don't stand for anything anymore because we're afraid that if someone's offended, they'll mock us and we'll feel bad and be embarrassed. Elisha wasn't embarrassed. It, it doesn't even re- really say, you know, he got loud or mad. He just called for, hey, take care of business. You see, there's going to be mockers in this world. What do they do? They, they mock the word of God. Think about Noah. Noah said, come, everybody come. It's going to rain. Oh, you crazy old man. You see that crazy guy? He's building some kind of something or another. You can't find gopher wood right now. The price has went out the roof. He's used every bit of gopher wood there is within miles. That man Noah has completely lost his mind. But when Noah entered that boat and the last of the animals entered the boat and just Noah, just Noah and his family, and God said, And sealed the side of that ark. It said he sealed them in. Noah didn't keep himself in. God sealed him in. I'm going to tell you something. The words of the mockers could not be heard under the thousands of feet of water that fell from the sky. There'll be those who mark the word, mock the word of God. You don't have, listen, the Bible tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. That means to know the word and present it, but it doesn't call for us to be angry and hateful to try to defend it. Did you hear what I just said? You'll never win anybody by shaming them. You win them by saying, I was a sinner and Jesus died for me and he died for you. They mock the word of God. They mock the wisdom of God. Think about Moses. He had great wisdom to decide. I mean, he was judging the entire entire Hebrew people, and they mocked him. His own people mocked him. What kind of leader are you? They mocked the warnings from God. Jeremiah spent his entire life warning them of what was going to happen, and all he got was mockery. Not one convert. Not one come and said, I'll stand with you, Jeremiah. Not one. Prophet after prophet after prophet were killed for this exact thing, the warnings. All through the minor prophets, we hear the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And they killed them because of the warnings. You ever heard the saying, don't shoot the messenger? Well, that's exactly what the world's going to do. They mocked the way of God. Elijah. And who, who reminded the people of Elijah? John the Baptist. Elijah didn't care what anybody thought. Elijah knew who he was in the Lord. And they mocked him for it. The way he dressed, what he ate, what he did. But may I say, the mockers all died and Elijah hadn't died yet. So where's the power at? Know this first. Don't be surprised. You know, you have a great weekend. We have a great day at church this morning. We have a great night tonight fellowshipping and cutting and painting pumpkins and eating and just enjoying our first time all year, really, to be together in a fellowship since night to shine. And you get up Monday and you kind of feel exhilarated. You had a good weekend. Maybe your team won. Whatever it was, you had a good weekend. You had a, you and your, your sweetie went out and had a great date night or you saw a movie, whatever it was. And you show up at work on Monday, you go back to school and you're just like, hey, and the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth is mockery. They slap you in the face. What did you do all weekend? Go to the house of God? You go to church? What did you do? And something, Satan is going to come at you and mock you because you walk in the way. But the third thing, I want you to see what he said. This they willingly or willfully, they willfully forget. They have to literally tell themselves to forget about it. They willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. 
by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I want you to understand something very quickly. They willfully forget history's perfection. In the beginning, God. Y'all with me? In the beginning, God. No matter what initials they put at the end of some paragraph in a history book, I'm going to tell you something. It all began and it'll all end with God. God is eternal. There's never been a time that God wasn't. God is. In the beginning, God. Listen, when they tell you, now I want you to hear this with me this morning. Because if you watched any of debates, you watched any commercial and didn't even want to, it just pops up on every single platform there is. But you hear this. When they tell you, we choose science over fiction, they are really saying that they only believe in the material world with no belief in an unseen God, an empowering faith, or an eternal judgment. When they say, we choose science over fiction, they're saying, we choose the natural things that we can see and hold with our hand and nothing to do with faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And make no mistake about it, without faith it's impossible to please God. You see, they willfully forget history's perfection. It's not just that they're tearing down historical monuments in America. They're tearing down all the historical mile markers in our heads to forget where we come from, to forget who God is. And we see history's pollution. They willfully forget the Adamic sin of mankind. Because you see, to deny sin is to deny the, uh, the consequence or the conscience. We can just, the Bible says, sear them. We can take a hot iron and, and, and numb it to sear it, to cauterize it, so that it doesn't have any life anymore. We've seared our conscience with a hot iron. Because we willfully forget Adamic sin is imputed sin that passes upon all mankind. No matter how sweet that baby looks, no matter how fresh she smells, no matter how big he smiles, he was born into sin. She was born into sin. This frees the mind when we willfully forget Adamic sin. It frees the mind to do whatever it wants without the thought of repercussion. If you can just erase God from the picture, then you don't have to worry about any repercussions. You can do whatever you want to do. Am I right? And then history's projection, that is judgment. Do you know, if you're really going to believe science, science always backs up the Word of God when you study it to its log logical conclusion in its depth. The second law of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics declares that we're using up all usable energy in our atmosphere, in our system. Eventually, we will run out. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a follower of Al Gore and all the stuff he spewed. He wasn't even a good senator or vice president, much less a scientist. It's like Bill Nye, the science guy. He don't even have a science degree. Did you know that? That's the kind of world. They can claim to be whatever they want to be. But the truth is, listen, judgment is coming. History projects good and evil. No matter what you want to say about morality or legislating ethics, there is an obvious good and an obvious evil. Right? We all like feel-good stories. We always like to see the good when someone helps some, some older person that you know, something has happened and some young person comes alongside. We love to see the stories of some 17-year-old boy that has been walking five miles to work each way and all of his co-workers see his dedication and his care and they save up their money and buy him some vehicle. We like to see the story of the old man that sees this young boy going for a job interview in the subway and he, he goes and he fixes and ties the tie for this young man that he don't even know. That's good in the world. 
There's good in the world, amen? But we know human trafficking, pornography, the abuse of women and girls. We know that child molestation. We know that rape and adultery. And we know that murder and stealing and rioting is wrong. Obviously, there's a good and there is an evil. Saved and unsaved. They, the mockers say it's all relative. No, it's not. You may think it's subjective that you can choose what is your own truth. And Mike Pence said this other day. He said, you have a right to your own opinion, but you don't have a right to your own facts. That goes for all of us. You can all have your own opinion, but you have your own right to be wrong. Because ultimately, the Word of God is right. Not Mike Pence, not Trump. We all base our life, not Biden, not Harris, not Matt, not you. The Word of God is the only thing that always, forever stands true. But in closing, I want you to hear this as they come to the instruments. Verse 8 and 9. But beloved, there it is again. He started with it. He said, hey, those that I love, listen. Now he says, hey, those that I love, stay with me. He said, do not forget this one thing. You remember the title of our sermon? Beware, you have been warned. He's warning us right here. Those that he loves, he's warning us. Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, do not forget that he is the I am. He is eternal in all things. He is eternal in being. That's what that picture he describes in verse 8 is. That a thousand years is as a day and a day is a thousand years. People want to sometimes take that overly literal. But what it's saying is time has no effect on God. God doesn't age. God is just as God as he was when he told Moses, I am sent you. As, as God who walked in the cool of the day with Adam. As God who walked with Enoch. And Enoch was not for God took him. As the God who sent fire on Mount Carmel. As the God who rescued Jeremiah, Jeremiah out of that, that deep cistern. Or as the God who rescued David out of a horrible pit. The God who empowered John the Baptist. The God who spoke from heaven when his son was there being baptized. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The I am is eternal in his being. He's eternal in his knowing. All things, listen, he knows who belongs to him. That's what he's telling us in verse 9. If you are saved, God is never slack. And he'll never forget. And therefore, not only is he eternal in knowing who is saved, who is not, he's eternal in his keeping. If you are a child of God, you'll always be a child of God, but you've not always been a child of God if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not born a child of God. You're reborn a child of God. It's a loving reminder, church. Be mindful of His Word. Know that the world's going to come at you. Know that they willfully forget, and we need to remind the world, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. May we always be mindful not to forget the I am in all parts of our life. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know, you know about history, you believe that God created it, you believe that Jesus came, but you never said, I believe, Father, forgive me. You believe the fullness of the prophets that, that there is sin and there's judgment. You don't, you've never told him and believe it in the depths of your being and cried out, Lord, save me. You need to come be saved today. You need to come and say, God, I have forgotten. I've willfully forgotten. 
I've chose to think about all the things of the world and remember all the things that I need to do. I can remember what the scores were from seven years ago. I can remember who won the World Series in 1983. I can remember the, the words of every country song, but God, I don't remember your word. You're saved. It's time to come and get on fire for God. Whatever you need to do, you need to join the church, you need to be baptized, stand and come to the altar today. Come. Come to Jesus. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.